0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we are here to break down everything that happened in the world of WWE this week. We're talking SmackDown, we're talking Raw, and we are talking everything beyond those shows as well. Vintage, Chris Vanini, the co-host here in these parts of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. He will be joining us momentarily, but we are going to get straight into the show today. Vintage and The Silver King both have an extremely busy week ahead of us, but folks, we have so much greatness, so much performance-enhancing audio planned for your ear holes Over the next two weeks, I hope you're getting excited. Now, before we get into that, allow me to get into this and remind you that here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, this show is all about the So please, folks, we're almost at the end of another year. Stop making me ask.
1: Stop being marks for yourselves and go back
0: to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King and for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a few extra moments out of your life. Leave a five-star written review as well. Let everyone know how much you love the show. Tell them why you listen and why they should subscribe. And if you do, we will read those reviews right here on the podcast. And wouldn't you know it, we have not one, not two, but three new five-star reviews to read right here on Getting Over. In fact, Two of them actually come from down under in Australia. They happened this fall. Didn't even get a notification that new reviews came in. So I apologize for those of you who left these reviews. They do not appear on the American Apple podcast page. I had to go searching for them, but I found them. And thank you so much. Allow me to go through first from Australia, Cam-1988, five stars. It's pretty good. Listening is worth the time. I've been here (laughs) since the beginning. I followed BC from cheap heat. To ITC, and that's where I met the Silver King. He says what we were all thinking and is unbiased and reasonable in his logic. Great job, guys. You are my favorite wrestling pod, POD all caps. I don't know why you did that, but nice. Cam, I very much appreciate it.
1: Did you yes, have something there? That's awesome. Thank you very much. Oh
0: okay. I didn't introduce you yet, but yeah, you can comment on them sure if you I'm if here. you want. Uh the second one, yeah, Chris is here. He'll he'll be coming back uh, to talk momentarily. NIMS 10-84. Uh, Adam S is the silver king of wrestling podcasts. Getting over is the only wrestling podcast I listen to weekly, is Adam Silverstein and his sometimes co-host, Chris Vanini, the guy who's you're here every week. How are you? A sometimes co-host. Uh he's well, Chris is here you, every you week, do, You
1: do you do the show, you do two shows a week. You, you do
0: But you're not sometimes, show. though. You're a permanent co-host. you you're just only do one show. Got right. it. That's all, that's all I'm saying. That's true. Uh, provide the most in-depth and fair and balanced takes on WWE and AEW without a hint of tribalism or bias and are always objective in their reviews and opinions. I followed Adam over from the ITC SOC days and even made a habit of listening to his SoundCloud page for his wrestling opinions in the purgatory that preceded getting over. Shout out to that SoundCloud page. And wherever he goes to talk wrestling, I will gladly follow. My only complaint is that many of the beers he recommends aren't available in Australia, but that's a minor downside I can live with. Thanks for the great pod, Adam and Chris. Well, Nims, thank you for that great review. And I'll tell you, if you come here to the United States, especially if you come to South Florida, I'll get you some of those beers that I talk about. And lastly, uh, from the United States of America this time, this pod is FTR 7 Star Guys and Top Guys. Uh, The Kool-Aid Man 777, I really don't have anyone to talk pro wrestling with in my life. My family and friends are not into it. So I listen to your podcast because your guys' insights and critiques and opinions are top notch. I agree with the majority of them. I look forward to listening to this podcast every week. When I watch wrestling now, there is another aspect I think about, and that is what do Adam and Chris think about each match and segment for that week's episode? Keep up the good work. As I said before, you guys are FTR seven-star guys, and top guys. These are some baller-ass reviews, I got to say. Thank you guys so much. People in
1: Australia, incredibly nice. Thank you very much.
0: Yes, yes. Two Aussies and one American. Uh, We appreciate you uh, wherever you are in this large, large world. Thank you for leaving those five-star ratings and reviews. Folks, 21 ratings left on Apple Podcasts, and I only read these uh, promos once per episode. Get it done. If you listen to this show and you have not dropped a five-star rating on Apple, please go ahead and do so. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. Episode drops, analysis, updates on news, highlights, everything that goes on in the world of professional wrestling each week you can find on our Twitter account at GettingOverCast. Okay, extended intro out of there. Chris, officially, welcome to the show and let's talk some WWE. Just a quick review of SmackDown and Raw before we get into the main event and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Incredible crowd in Chicago this past Friday for SmackDown. Obviously, one of the best wrestling cities in the United States. Some, you know, argue it's the best. And they were on fire the entire show, particularly during the actual matches. They gave great reactions for everything that happened in the ring. They played along with the promos. And they helped make SmackDown on Friday, in my opinion at least, one of the top 10 or 15 TV shows any brand that we've gotten in 2022. And then we come to Monday and I'm prepared. I'm ready, Chris, for another bad crowd and another mediocre episode. And to my delight, we got a major step up from what we've been given recently, both in terms of the creative and the crowd. Des Moines, Iowa, they may not be a SmackDown crowd, but it was hot all night. They reacted just the way a wrestling crowd should. And the booking of Raw from start to finish was the best in at least a month, if not longer. All in all, I thought, Chris, it was a really strong week of WWE TV leading into the holidays.
1: Yeah, SmackDown Raw best one-two weekend shows we've gotten in quite a while. Two very different shows, Is it possible, Chris?
0: Is it possible it's the best one-two in the Triple H era, back-to-back?
1: It's hard to say. My memory's not that good, but it it is the first in quite a while. And two very different shows. SmackDown was heavy on the wrestling. Uh, Raw was a little bit differently structured and both worked. So, you know, after last last week's kind of disastrous Raw rating, I don't know at the time we're recording, we don't know what the numbers are, but it was definitely a much improved show on Monday uh, following a good SmackDown.
0: I think it's probably fair to say that, yeah, they were reacting to a really bad rating. In fact, bad ratings that they've gotten for the last two weeks. And we'll go, you know, we'll talk about what these shows looked like momentarily, but the weaving through of a storyline throughout Raw, numerous big matches, some announced, some unannounced that were made during the show. If you had flipped over to Raw on this particular Monday night, and by the way, it was a, despite both teams being bad, Green Bay Packers, Los Angeles Rams, that's a good Monday night football game from a branding standpoint. Uh, They had a lot of competition is what I'm trying to say. Plus it was in Lambeau. Uh, If you're flipping back and forth and you landed on The vast majority of segments that happened on Raw, you're most likely sticking around. You're not immediately flipping off. And I thought that was a really big key into why the show was so successful and entertaining from start to finish on Monday night. I I was very impressed. Like SmackDown, we've gotten a lot of, Chris, really good SmackDowns consistently. I was impressed at the effort and the execution that we got Monday night on Raw.
1: Completely agree. And and this is at a time where we're building toward a big episode of SmackDown to close out the year and you wonder, mm-hmm. all right, is Raw gonna do anything special? Is Raw just gonna phone it in for the rest of the year? And Because no, they, they certainly
0: us- seemed like they did the last two weeks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But no, they they you know, we don't we don't have a big announced Raw next week, but they definitely put their best foot forward on this one.
0: That's exactly right. They put their best foot forward and it is now time, Chris, for us to put our best foot forward. By starting this episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, as we always do, by sliding into the main, event. This is the main event. Now, the vast majority of our WWE main events recently have surrounded the bloodline. But this week, it's still the bloodline, just going across SmackDown and Raw <laughs> this time, as opposed to just SmackDown, because an absolute shit ton happened involving these guys. Roman Reigns, Sami Zayn the Uso, Solo Sokoa, Paul Heyman across both shows this week. So we're going to start with SmackDown. We're going to go in order. We're going to talk about every single thing that happened. And then we will get to the good, the bad, and the ugly and discuss everything else that happened this week in WWE. So on SmackDown, Sami Zayn arrived at the arena in an SUV with the Usos, but not Solo Sokoa. His beard was nicely trimmed and his hair was in a really tight man bun looking just like Roman Reigns. Michael Cole suggested this could be the night He is a made man and no longer just an honorary Uso. Later backstage, Sammy was concerned about his appearance. The Usos kept putting him over, telling him to breathe. When Zayn went to get some water, Jay took Jimmy aside and, and Jay told him that Roman Reigns would strip the honorary from Sammy. Jimmy said Jay may be setting Sammy up for disappointment because no one confirmed that's what Roman was going to do. And Reigns might be pissed off about Kevin Owens keeping his nose in all of their business. So Reigns arrived later with Sokoa and Paul Heyman, and he also had a smirk on his face walking into the arena. Jay later approached Roman and he put over Sammy Strong. It was just them, no Jimmy. Uh, He said how much he liked Sammy, but of course doesn't compare to his love for Roman and the bloodline. Jay said he hoped Reigns made Sammy, but if he didn't because he was angry about KO or whatever, he understood and he would support that. Roman grimaced at the mention of Owen's name, and Solo stared daggers at Jay the entire time. Now, Chris, up to this point, I had major Goodfellas vibes with Sammy as Tommy DeVito. And I hope you get that reference because I hope you've seen Goodfellas.
1: Yes, I'm Italian. Okay, I've seen Goodfellas. Oh, you are? Uh, I,
0: did. I didn't know you were Vanini, Italian. you couldn't tell? I wasn't sure if it's Italian or, or Spanish or Latin of some kind. I wasn't going to make an yes. assumption.
1: Yep, yep. I've seen... No, no, So I it's agree. So it's, yeah, it's yeah,
0: Chris... Vanini, that's really what it is. Yes,
1: exactly. My, my, I'm going to see my grandma this week, and uh, a lot, going to get a lot of talk like that. Uh, yeah, okay, so no, you're I, having I your Sunday same,
0: sauce and your meatballs this week.
1: Got it. Yes, I, I had the same thought of like, are they going to like? They, they kind of hyped up taking the, 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 the honorary off of Sammy, while also saying, are we sure that's actually happening? And so that, that was that was a good, um, it's good to not make expectations, I think, too high going into that final match and making it more about intrigue, which they did.
0: So um, quickly off topic, just because I'm now learning that you're Italian and it's Christmas time. So my uncle is also Italian and obviously I am not Christian by any means, but I celebrate Christmas with them. And we have what is apparently considered, this is what he tells me, an Italian Christmas, which includes, you know, many classic traditional Italian items, but also a lot of seafood. And I'm wondering if that translates. Is that the same with you guys? No,
1: never done that. I we usually did Christmas with uh, my immediate family, and then we go to my mom's side of the family, grandparents for Christmas. Not the uh, not my dad's, the Italian side. So no, mm. I've not had not heard of an Italian Christmas like that. Also, my Italian family not all that big into seafood. So gotcha that, that's I what, just think
0: that's he what. likes to buy like lobster and shrimp and scallops. And so that he just sure. he just told me that's what it was forever. But <laughs> hey, I like it. I get to enjoy it. So it's no problem. Here, go. But it's lasagna, lobster, and it's like, OK, I'll, if, I look forward to Christmas every year. Anyway, let's get back yes. to the wrestling. Um, so what we just talked about, this was so well executed, I thought, to build to the main event. It played into fans considerations of the two possibilities without revealing anything. And then it yes. simultaneously proved. That not even the entire bloodline knows what's going to happen. Though it did seem like Rain, Sokoa, and Heyman were on the same page. So I looked at it at that point like either Jay or Jimmy, or perhaps even both are in the dark. And it was interesting also, Chris, to see Jay be so fully on Sammy's side. Because Zayn has not only changed his perception, but he's actually now made Jay a bigger supporter than Jimmy. Who for all this time was his guy?
1: Yeah, because remember last week we got uh, Jimmy saying to Jay, "Hey, like he lied to your face. Like, are you cool with that?" And so like Jimmy's all in now, and I, <laughs> I'm sorry, Jay is all in. Jimmy's the one who's like, "All right, let's not go like too far on this." And so it's kind of like they're 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 kind of polar opposites, where like if one goes one way, one starts to pull back the other way, and it's just yeah, it creates an interesting. Dynamic between all of them, and the idea that they are in the dark, and that they're not arriving with Roman, just like just like a different way to approach an episode of SmackDown, and it it was interesting TV.
0: Yeah, they're clearly set up into two crews: it's Sammy and the Usos, and then Roman, Sokoa and Haman. And then when they do show up on Raw, Solo almost comes as like the representative of Roman for the rest of his family, which is really interesting when you just think about all the different dynamics at play uh, between the groups. So. Yeah, just something I wanted to note. So, anyway, so when Jay left Roman's office, whatever you want to call it, Reigns immediately told Heyman to call Adam Pierce. Remember, Jay had just mentioned Kevin Owens to him, and he got really upset at that. When Pierce eventually arrived, Heyman proposed Reigns and Zayn against Owens and a partner of his choosing. Pierce asked if they wanted it that night. So they all laughed with Roman insulting Chicago. He would never have that match in that city. Then Pierce suggested the Royal Rumble. And for a second, Chris, I was like, you don't tell me they're not putting a title match on the Royal Rumble after all this time. But instead, Heyman said, we want it on the final SmackDown of 2022, congratulating Pierce for his score, him getting that match. Then Solo got in Adam's face and told him to leave. Now, it sure to me, Chris, felt like a big, big mistake to announce this match in this segment with Pierce because look, there was a purpose behind it. Okay. That was to show that Jay in trying to help Sammy actually ruined his big night by putting Owens back and reigns's head as this obstacle that needs to be overcome. But it drastically reduced the anticipation of the main event because now we knew Roman was going to team with Sammy. So he clearly wasn't going to like excommunicate him from the bloodline or anything. So it took that option completely off the table. All they had to do was save the announcement for the main event segment with Roman saying that Jay reminded him about KO. And that's a really simple booking. You don't even need to show him meeting with Pierce, just saying that we're calling Pearson. you know, then you can have Heyman or Reigns in the ring say, we spoke to Adam Pierce and we got this match made and all the dots are connected. And if they had done it this way, it also could have potentially reignited tension between Sammy and Jay going in the opposite direction because Jay inadvertently delayed Sammy being a made man. I was actually kind of surprised that no one like thought this through because at least to me, this is a whole main event where I'm gonna really be praising the storyline. But to me, this was a glaring error in the entire
1: process. Well, I can tell you that my brother texted me at the beginning of SmackDown. I was like, they might turn on Sammy at the end of SmackDown. And then that segment happened. And he was like, oh, I guess not then. You, you, right. You, you, there was intrigue. Why of the main event of, of what was going to happen with Sammy. And then you just didn't do that. You, you could totally hold the match part for, for the end and, and just set up. Be like, all right, Sammy, you're going to prove yourself. We're going to have Pierce get out of here. All right, we're having a match. Like that's yeah, I just it was weird to give it away in that moment. Yeah,
0: like literally all he had to do was Sammy. You were going to be a made man tonight. But Jay reminded me about KO and we spoke to Adam Pierce. And this is what's going to happen. And, the, and, the, and you're at the same point as you would have otherwise been without giving it away. Yeah. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the bloodline comes out in the main event and everyone except for Sammy is wearing new Island of Relevancy shirts that had all six of their faces on it, Zayn included. Rain said they dominated war games and then he dapped up his blood one by one before pausing and also dapping up Sammy. Rain said tonight is the night and that every night's a good night for him, but it was going to be a good night for Zayn. Sammy looked completely dejected when he said this. Roman said they have a KO problem. KO won't leave Sammy alone. He's dragging him down. And now, because he's a problem for Sammy, he's a problem for the bloodline. And the solution is the tag team match that we already knew about. So they never have to see KO again. Sammy co-signed, he called Owens a cancer, and he said, I'm his only friend. Then he paused and corrected himself, saying he was KO's only friend. Suddenly, out of nowhere, John Cena appeared on the Titantron, saying he got a text from KO informing him that he's had a WWE match every year for two decades, except 2022. And of course, that led to Cena agreeing to be Owen's partner in the match. Reigns could not help but like angrily laugh. Zayn looked dejected again, and SmackDown went off the air, kind of with Reigns almost Consoling Sammy, I would say now, obviously, this was a home run. The Cena surprise was a nice touch, and the promo was damn funny that Cena cut. Sammy was excellent as always. I thought Roman perhaps could have snapped his head back when Zayn said, "I'm his only friend and sold it a little bit stronger, but the segment was good enough. The clear assumption is they're going to lose with Sammy taking the fall, and then k o fighting reigns at the Royal Rumble. It'll be interesting to see if that actually happens and then how that match plays out. But in terms of what we got Friday night on SmackDown, again, all of it was super strong. I loved the way they executed this main event. If they just took that Pierce meeting out, I think it would have been even better than it already was.
1: There there was one other part that gave away that Sammy was not going to get turned on in this episode. And that was, as you mentioned, the new t-shirts. <laughs> right. You know, when when you see a new... Bloodline shirt with Sami Zayn on there. He's probably not getting kicked out of the bloodline that night. So, um, it, uh, it's not a Y2 AJ situation. Um, <laughs> so it, uh, yeah, no, it, the whole thing was good. I, I they set it up well. It, 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 it made sense. There was one part of what they said that won't make sense on Raw, which I'll get to after, which I'll get to when we get to Raw, but this all worked and, Look, John Cena's there showing up in that that uh that hat that you kind of liked but kind of didn't like, the old Oakland Raiders. Well, I love
0: the hat. I just I'm not a John Cena fan.
1: Well, yeah, but you would you would you the hat saying hustle loyalty and respect. Would you buy that hat? I would not buy it because I'm not a John Cena fan, but I love the design. But but are anyone who is a John Cena fan should own that hat, I believe. But a casual person's not going to know it's John Cena, right? Necessarily.
0: Uh, probably not, but I also don't want to walk around with a hat that just says hustle loyalty respect. Okay, that,
1: that, that's what I was trying to get to. <laughs> that's what I was trying to get to. So, But I love
0: uh, it. I love the hat, though. Straight up. I love it.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, no, this this whole thing worked. And, you know, would I love John Cena to actually be there? John Cena's music hit? Yeah. Would I love for his return to be a surprise and not like a pre-announcing? Yeah. But look, this is just for our go-home SmackDown or end-of-the-year <laughs> SmackDown type of event. It's not that big of a Thing it's just a one off, and if Cena's gonna come back for a one off, that's fine. It is kind of weird that we didn't have him for an entire match all year. I had yeah. not realized that. Uh, Kevin Owens apparently a big, uh, a big uh tracker of WWE statistics, texting John Cena the
0: information. Kevin Owens, as that. I'm gonna mention, as I'm gonna <laughs> mention in a moment, <laughs> Kevin Owens is the one guy who knows what's going on at all times. Yep, yep, that he's the one person me, so. on both shows who just knows what's happening. Uh, I, I do find it interesting that the way they did the Cena thing because. I mean, maybe they were possibly having ticket sales problems in Tampa. I doubt it. Maybe they're just trying to build anticipation for that show so it gets a monster rating, which is most likely what it is. They want that show to be a two-five, a two-seven, Like they want to try to get a huge rating for that final SmackDown of the year, just like they did the final SmackDown of last year, which was a monster show. So I understand it, but they didn't just quote unquote ruin it by Cena appearing on the Titan Tron here, they announced earlier in the week or maybe even the week before that Cena would appear on that show. So as soon right. as KO had a mystery partner, it was like, oh, it's going to be Cena. And then yeah. he shows up right there. So at least they didn't drag it out and like make you wait all the way till the show. Because once those two things were announced, it was clearly going to be him. So I actually thought it was a good idea. And look, dude, it's weird. Like Cena, he went through this you know period of time where. He look. He was divisive, very much so. Like people didn't want him on th- their TV anymore. But it was never because of John Cena. It was because of his booking. And I think that's what a lot of people forget when fans are criticizing certain talents, or we don't want to see them. Charlotte Flair is another great example. It's not that we don't like her. We don't like her booking over years and years, an extended period of time. But John Cena has gone been away, you know, full time for so long, and his appearances are now so rare. He can do no wrong. It's like The Rock coming back now. He go- goes on a screen and the crowd went wild for it. So even mm-hmm. though that crowd in Chicago did not get John Cena, they at least got a little taste. And I thought it was well played by WWE doing it that way.
1: Yeah, like I was at the Money in the Bank last year when he made the surprise return after the after the Edge uh, match. And that place went bananas. Also, I gotta say, I think this is the first time we've seen Cena... Like talk about the bloodline because it was it wasn't really the bloodline back then when it was Cena Roman that was that was uh, I don't think they had been calling themselves was it just that, that Jay yet. was Jimmy back was, yet? It, no the Usos were there because the Usos won the tag belts at that Money in the Bank uh, won their first set of tag belts so they were together but it, it just was Solo like, and Sammy it, wasn't it really adds a different element bloodline. yeah so yeah, I mean inserting yeah. insert I'm just saying I say all this to say inserting a john cena chapter into this very long bloodline team story is mm-hmm. fun so that it takes uh, it to another level it feels more like
0: an appendix but but then a chapter but i agree though it, it is interesting to get john in here again and yeah the first time it was bloodline um but it just wasn't the fully formed bloodline that we now have it was the second incarnation, I would I would say, or maybe even the first incarnation, as opposed to now, you know, what we've been given. Yeah. So it, it's interesting to have him in there. Obviously, him working with KO, KO was massively over. It works on multiple different levels. And the story continued Monday night on Raw. So Reigns opened Raw with a taped promo from the SmackDown site in Chicago. They didn't say, I don't think it was taped, but it was very obvious that it was. Uh, telling Owens He's going to need more than Cena to go against him, and the bloodline is ready to show all of its resources to make his life hell and ensure everyone acknowledges the bloodline. Then the Usos grabbed the camera backstage at Raw and talked trash while attacking Mustafa Ali. They did the same thing later to NXT's Andre Chase, which was just random to see him back there, but it was cool. (laughs) Adam Pearce was later backstage leaving a voicemail for Heyman trying to reach him, really angry that he would not pick up the phone. At that point, it was also revealed that Cedric Alexander and Dolph Ziggler had been attacked. So then we got a match. The Good Brothers against Alpha Academy. There was a su- very surprising, we want Otis chant early in this match. Chad Gable jumped on Otis for a double impact World's Strongest Slam on Luke Gallows. Then Gable missed a moonsault and got caught with Magic Killer in the finish. There was nothing inherently wrong with this match. The crowd enjoyed it after the bell. The bloodline attacked out of the crowd, hitting 1D on Carl Anderson and then again on Gallows. Pierce sent officials out. The Usos said they run WWE and Sammy said Pierce is the only one with a problem because the fans happened to love it. Then the bloodline agreed to leave on their own as fans chanted "Sammy Uso while walking backstage. AJ Styles flew in out of nowhere for an attack on Zayn with all parties getting separated. Styles then in gorilla position demanded a match and Pierce gave him a match with Zayn. So that led us to AJ Styles against Sami Zayn. AJ hit a rack bomb. Sami came back with his signatures, plus an exploder into the corner. Styles countered the Huluva kick with a calf crusher that got broken. Sokoa then walked down the stairs in the crowd. Styles uh, stopped a phenomenal firm to attack Sokoa, with the referee checking on Zayn inside. Solo caught AJ with the Samoan spike. Zayn followed with a blue thunder bomb and got the win over AJ. Pierce then screamed at them again. Okay, lots happened there. Uh, the attacks, I thought, throughout the first hour, they were old school WWE, and it was a great way to thread a storyline and really keep me interested as a viewer. The style Zayn match was obviously well wrestled, and saving Sokoa until that segment was really smart because it allowed him to kind of be the forgotten man and the X factor in the entire thing. Then you have Sammy winning with the blue thunderbomb, and that was awesome for two reasons. One, it sold the effects of a spike. The guy didn't need to hit his finisher. And it was also a really fun reference to the last time they fought, which I think is like the only time in WWE where Sammy won with the Blue Thunderbomb. He's beaten AJ Styles twice in very similar ways with that move. All of it also provided the perfect excuse for Chris, what I assume is going to be Pierce barring the bloodline from ringside on SmackDown, thus opening the door for Cena and KO to pin Sammy and set everything else in motion. So I just thought this was really strong. From start to finish over the first like 90 minutes of Raw. The tag team match was really nothing. But other than that, I guess well, the we want Otis chant was fun and that was interesting. But other than that, I thought the attacks throughout the show really well executed. Adam Pierce being out of his mind, angry. And then unannounced, we get Styles Zane, which was an absolute banger match. I wasn't, I'm not saying it was like a five-star match or anything, but you know, high threes, maybe even a four. Uh just super well wrestled, really, really good stuff through the first. I would say two thirds of the show.
1: Yep. Uh one, one thing I want to say real quick about Cena, by the way, 2.5 million views on YouTube on his return. That was almost that was more than you four love times, those YouTube views. four times bigger than anything else in SmackDown. So Raw starts off like this. And I, I I like when there's stuff going on backstage and you periodically have to check back what's going on, what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what um, that that keeps you interested. A, every segment, every commercial break, you you gotta pay attention so you so you know what's going on. So that played out throughout the show. It, it it's nice when the show fe- it makes the show feel alive. It makes it feel like it's living and breathing, and things are changing on the fly. Mm-hmm. My one, I don't know if it's a nitpick or whatever. With this is, like, what does this have to do with Kevin Owens? Like, why does he? Why would he care? I totally they, I agree. Mean, Yep. Sammy even again, this is what I was going to bring up again, Sammy said on Smackdown, I'm his only friend. So like there's no there's nobody there on Raw. They told us that there's nobody well, there on Raw who cares about Kevin Owens. So why would Kevin Owens care about them getting beat up? I get the idea of it like you know, you just you, you try to do these things to bait him out, bring him out whatever. But that just kind of just off the bat just kind of was like Kevin Owens isn't like the I'm going to save the baby face type of situation. He stunned uh, uh, Elias last week after saving him. So it's not really his thing. That was my only kind of nitpick about it. But the general idea of it, of just like the bold lines there wreck and shop. I love that. That's what I wanted Judgment Day to do back in the mm-hmm. like, any time a faction is just wreck and shop backstage. I like it.
0: No, you nailed it completely. So there's two ways to think about it. One, you're right. Owens has no other friends besides Sammy, who technically in storyline is no longer his friend. But because he keeps saving people who the bloodline beats up, he's starting to gain friends. It's a storyline that really would actually work, Chris, leading into like a War Games match or a Survivor yeah. Series match. I, I where this though, guy is the said. captain.
1: Yep. I was like, I was like, this is this would be a great build to Survivor Series like. This is how this is yeah. going, but we just did it. Yeah. Or if
0: they did like a, an elimination or something like that, like it would just make a ton of sense for them to do it that way. Um, but from a logic perspective, you're a thousand percent right. And I had the exact same thought. The opening of raw Reigns is like, well, since you're giving us so much shit and you're creating chaos in our life, we're going to create chaos in yours. And we're going to basically come to raw and beat the shit out of everyone there as if he's like the GM of the show or the world champion or something, right? Where they're about to have like a unification match and so he's going to, you know, mess up his domain. Raw isn't his domain. I mean, it's where he's employed in kfabe but KO doesn't give a shit about Raw. Like, like, yeah. like ha- yeah. the other people on the show or anything like that. So right. it was a very convoluted way to excuse this, you know, and, and put this into motion. That said, it was super entertaining. So like, Yes, Those things can be excused, but you are a thousand percent correct. And there was not really a logical reason
1: for them to beat up other people on the show, because why would Owens care? You know how you tweak it? You just say, we're coming for you, Kevin Owens. They're looking for Kevin Owens throughout the building, beating up people on the way as they try to find him. Anyone who gets in our way. Exactly. There you go. That's like, that's all you had to do. It would make total sense. Again, it's kind of nitpicky. I liked it, but I just... No, we're, listen, we
0: can't just sit here and pray, you know, even though you like something, there's still legitimate criticisms. And now we found two, right? Already in this. And both were, in my opinion, completely legitimate about it. So, all right. There's more, still more from Raw. So Seth Rollins opens hour three. He's back home in Iowa. So he gets a great reaction. He spoke to Roman directly in the camera saying, Mondays belong to me, not you. Austin Theory entered to you suck chance. And Seth was really funny, clarifying that the fans were talking about Austin and not him. Theory said Rollins claimed the United States Championship was the title on Raw, which means the champ is here because he walked in the ring. Clearly a John Cena reference. Are they teasing about WrestleMania? We will find out. Rollins said he may have the title, but Theory's not on his level. Theory said Rollins keeps fumbling the ball when WWE gives it to him. and He called him the third most successful member of the Shield. This was a notably strong promo segment between these two. Rollins and Theory they play off each other well and this was just classic storytelling with young hungry newcomer uh, going after one of the most accomplished veterans in the company. We've seen this with The Rock, with Chris Jericho, John Cena, plenty of others obviously. Theory more than held his own against Rollins, which was important. The shield line was nails. There's a legitimate intensity in this feud that it really has me wanting to see the title match in 2 weeks a lot more than I did going into it. That's the goal. You know, I don't think they hit a grand slam, but they hit a solo homer.
1: So as this promo is going on, I'm thinking this this lacks the the edge and the intensity that I want to see. They're both doing promos in the same style, which is a lot of sarcasm, which is a lot of like dismissing the other guy in front of him. And it was just like it wasn't connecting with me. And then Theory delivers the shield line and Rollins flips out. And then mm-hmm. it changed. And then uh, then it was like, all right, now we have the edge. Now we have the intensity. Seth, like Seth is being serious about this whole thing. And, and 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 it worked. Like that was the moment that got me into it. Similar to Rollins' riddle, where it wasn't until they mentioned the the wife and family thing that it really got intense. And mm-hmm. now we finally got there with this one. And so now I'm feeling it a lot more than I had been. So this promo to me was the step forward in this that we needed.
0: Right. It put it over the top to not just a match that, oh, that'll be cool that two good guys are wrestling. But I want to see this match. And and that's what you need. That extra sell right at the end of there. So as as you noted, when Theory dropped that line about the Shield, Rollins went absolutely wild. He challenged him. He wanted the title match immediately on Raw. But as he did that, the Usos appeared beyond the barricade. And Rollins told Theory, hey, We'll put this shit aside for now. We need to team up and basically not get our ass kicked. So Theory starts taking off his jacket, pretending like he would join Rollins. Instead, he put it back on, slid outside the ring, and that let the Usos beat him down two on one until KO ran in to make the save. Pierce again ran down with officials. The faces challenged they wanted a match right away, and Pierce made it happen. So we got Rollins and Owens against the Usos in a non-title match. Backstage, Rollins said they're great together. And they, he wondered, he's like, why do we ever stop teaming up? So Owens reminded him about their feud <laughs> in a hysterical back and forth. And there was even this, there was one sequence, I'm probably going to butcher it, retelling it, but they're going back and forth. as Rollins is like, I don't really think that's me. And Kay was like, I'm 98% sure it was you. So Rollins is like, So you're saying there's a 2% chance? And Owens is like, I'm 100% sure it was you. It was, he said, he said I was being nice.
1: I was being nice by saying 98. <laughs>
0: Oh, he did say that. OK, so I told you it yeah. a little bit, but it yeah. was hysterical. They talked about Rollins like crazy ass gear. And I mentioned remember I, I mentioned not too long ago. Um, he's really toned it down recently now that he's doing the face turn with this character. And this yes. I thought this promo, in addition to all the other things we've gotten with Rollins recently, this really helped push him in that baby face direction, getting him right back with Kevin Owens, them having fun backstage, but this time having fun in a baby face way where in the past they used to do so. As heels, I just thought it worked quite well. I wasn't gonna stop here, but uh, you know, you may have something to say before we keep
1: going. And this is where, like, you mentioned Kevin Owens is being a wrestling historian. Uh, yes. He's always const- yes. Last couple of weeks, he's always constantly mentioning what happened before. Last week, it was with Elias and remembering, he's like, we went through this whole thing. Remember? Like, he's the only one who remembers everything that happened. And it was also a nice reminder of, like, oh yeah, remember Kevin Owens main evented one night of WrestleMania and then just kind of did nothing for like six months. Now he's back in the picture on top of everything. So it was it's nice to see him get back to that point. Did nothing. He was harassed and gaslighted by Ezekiel Elias for yes, four I months. Mean, like, for <laughs> I mean, many,
0: for months and months and months. For and way too long. last week. But no, you're, you're right. KO being the one guy in WWE who actually remembers storylines. It's a great kayfabe characteristic of him. Like the fact that he has that special quality where K, he's, he's an elephant. KO doesn't forget. Everyone else might. But, you know, he um, he keeps the grudges and he keeps the memory of everything that goes on. It really plays into why fans like him so much, because we feel like in many ways he's an everyman. He's one of us. We watch the show. We're like, why are they teaming? Didn't they just like have a falling out however many months ago, five, six months ago? And they mention it and KO makes sure it's brought up. And he just did that with Elias uh, a week ago or two weeks ago. So I love that part about it anyway. Uh, this ended up being the main event of Raw. Rollins had a double flying crossbody. Jay kicked Seth outside as KO hit the frog splash on Jimmy for a near fall. Jimmy then got knees up on a swanton bomb as Solo entered from the crowd. The Good Brothers intercepted him with Jay taking them out with a tope. Rollins followed suit with a tope cannonball. He dodged Solo into the post. He stomped Jay at ringside. Theory then blasted Rollins with the title over the barricade. Referee didn't see it. KO ate a superkick but dodged the Uso splash. The finishing sequence was great with counters to super kicks, uh, stunners, and a pop up powerbomb before KO finally hit the pop up powerbomb for the clean one, two, three to end the show on top. Sammy later slid inside the ring to confront KO, but that only lasted for like 30 seconds. He jumped right out of the ring and exited. Now, I legitimately, Chris, thought the bloodline was done on Raw after the Zane Styles match. I was like, all right, they got that done. They're out of the show. So to see them come back and then get involved in this, was a really fun surprise. It also made for what I thought was one of the most exciting third hours in the last few months with a tremendous, really exciting main event match. Owens absolutely had to go over here, especially if he's gonna win next week, which is hardly a sure thing, but would make a lot of sense. But the main event action was fantastic. It was a perfect capper to a damn good show. And let's not forget, they just beat the tag team champions. And the last time that happened was with Sheamus and Drew McIntyre, And they got a title match where they were supposed to. Obviously, Drew McIntyre was injured, so that didn't happen. But now coming out of this SmackDown, I would not be surprised if we see Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins get an opportunity to go after the WWE undisputed, whatever you want to call them, tag team champions. Because sometimes, Chris, when a champion beats a champion, they get a championship match. To beat the champion, to be able to beat the champion, that doesn't make any sense. All right, but I butchered that also. You get the point.
1: So when the when the um, when they announced the match, I thought, why didn't we open the show with this? Why didn't we open the show with Rollins in Iowa doing his whole thing? They get attacked. Kevin Owens, they decide to make it. And so we know what the main event is because we were like two thirds through the show. And I was like, what's the main event? Is it Bailey Becky? It was. And then that's happened. what I thought it would be. Yeah. And and so and so this kind of got made late. I feel like you could have just flipped a couple things and it, yeah. it still totally would have worked fine. But so I was just kind of like you said, I thought the users were gone. I didn't really know what was going on. It was good to see them back. Match was a lot of fun. Uh, it didn't have a ton of other thoughts on it other than um so so kevin owens they win they get the pin
0: do mm-hmm.
1: you think that you that actually had me thinking the reverse because i was thinking the faces win next week but if they win this are they going to beat the usos and they're going to be roman and Sam? yeah we're going to Kevin think, Owens yeah. is going to get two tag team wins over them in two weeks I, that's what i believe yeah interesting i, I mean I, I i'm picking next week as well i'm picking Kevin Owens and John Cena. So I was expecting a loss here, and like you said, this is now two non-title losses for the Usos, which ultimately is not that big of no a no because they're losing
0: the stars, they're losing to the former champions.
1: Yes, I like yes Kevin Owens and, and Rollins. These are former world champions, and Drew McIntyre,
0: Sheamus, all world
1: champions that they lost to. Yes, yeah. so that's that's I'm I'm generally okay with that um,
0: overall. So, but they should get a tag team title match, just like Sheamus. And McIntyre were supposed to before McIntyre got hurt. Right. And Sheamus still got Kevin, it
1: with Butch. Right. So we'll see. Like, if we think Kevin Owens is going to win next week and get a title shot with Roman at the Rumble or something, I I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it all works out. He, maybe he beats them all and says, I deserve a title shot. And that's that's what they do. Well, my, my assumption, we what that was.
0: my assumption, the way it would go is he wins the match on SmackDown. He pins he pins Sammy, which obviously makes the most sense. Um, then. They get the title match. He and Rollins get the title match on Raw lose because Sokoa, Sammy, whoever cheats and costs it to him. And then KO goes on SmackDown. He goes on a tirade. I'm sick of this bloodline shit. You cost me one title. I want yours, Roman. I want a title match at the show. He accepts and you're there. That, that's yeah. what I would expect to be happening. I don't exactly know if that's going to happen. That's my expectation from a booking standpoint.
1: Uh, yeah I don't I think Rollins and Kevin Owens are kind of done after this cuz Rollins is about to get into his theory stuff so, so they we'll just see. they just ignore
0: he, that they that they did that
1: Well I think we could have Kevin Owens win this week win next week and say hey I've beaten everybody in the bloodline except Solo or whatever. I, I get a tile shot Pierce says all right we're doing it and and Reigns is pissed or something like that. That, that that's my prediction how it turns out. Well, one last thing I wanted to say about this match though is that and I put it in my notes Kevin Patrick on commentary Making an effort, raising his way voice, better this getting, week, raising his voice, getting more emotional yep. in certain big moments. Um, so I just wanted to acknowledge that uh, that, that was there because it was noticeable and enough that I put it.
0: Are you acknowledging the Kevin Patrick? I'm acknowledging it. Uh, I thought he was improved this week, notably uh, to the point where it didn't detract from the show as much as it normally does. That's the best way I can put it. Uh, one thing you mentioned, I just like the way you put it, and it would make a lot of sense in storyline, is if Owens shows up on SmackDown, you know, in I guess two weeks or three weeks, and he's like, "Hey, I beat everyone else in the Bloodline room, and I want a match." And Roman's like, "You have to go through Solo first, and if you beat him, you can fight me." Solo hasn't lost on the main roster. That would be an impactful win, and an impactful loss for Owens to be the first person to beat Sokoa and earn a title shot against Reigns by doing that. That would make a lot of sense if they go in that direction as well. And you're right. They should go back to a title match here because they did beat them. But if they don't, it's not really the end of the world because that's not what he's focused on. I just loved that they did it for Sheamus and McIntyre because they should have. And it It would be disappointing if they don't kind of follow suit again. That's all I was really trying to say. Sure. Uh, Lastly, Chris, just to wrap this up, Um, I loved, I mean, I I talked about this episode, why it was so entertaining. This was the reason why it was so entertaining is the threaded storyline going across all three hours of the show. The plot of this show was really Roman Reigns saying, my guys are going to wreck shit. And then they did it for three hours without him even there. I just, it was so fast paced. So much happened. That is why I particularly found Raw to be entertaining Kind of wanted to lay that out there. I'm not sure if you had a response. Uh, If not, we can
1: move forward. Look, anything that's not Bloodline is tough to gain traction right now because Mm -hmm. the Bloodline is taking over two shows. And sometimes when Roman's not there, it's a drag. This was not a drag. This was a great way to involve a lot of people around the Bloodline storyline. Tell a story throughout Raw where... You kind of had to keep watching to see what was going to happen. And mm-hmm. that's that's what you want. up. that's what you want in a three hour episode every week. Three hours is too long. This was one of the few Raw's where it did not feel like a dragged Drag. No. It, and that's a credit. Yeah. That's a credit to that threaded story.
0: And they also, by the way, paid off all parts of that story in the main event because you had the Good Brothers involved. You had mm-hmm. Owens and Rollins, and you had the entire bloodline out there. So they li- they literally told the story all show and then paid it off in the main event. So if you stayed to- around and watched that show, your time was valued and appreciated by the people who were creating the content for you. And there are many Raws. In fact, the vast majority of Raws, you No, know, you could book them. You could be the greatest booker of all time. It's very tough to book a three-hour wrestling show, especially on a weekly basis. There, It's very rare that you get a Raw that pays off within itself the way this one did, and I appreciated that. That's why the show, this particular Monday, was so good. Chris, we have a ton left to talk about here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, WWE edition. Let's continue our talks with our second segment every single week, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And I'm sorry,
1: Ms. Rosie
0: spade or spade, it just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything, dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some. Johnny. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. You know, I gotta say, like when we changed this music up, it did take me a little bit to get used to it. But I kind of think it's better now. It's like pretty much a banger.
1: I'm used to it, too. There were a number of weeks where it like caught me off guard. But uh, those first two no, or it three worked. weeks
0: was really weird, right? Yeah,
1: but no, this works.
0: No, I like it a lot. This, it's good. Good shit from Jay-Z right there. All right. The good, the bad and the ugly. Let's kick it off with Bray Wyatt, who posted a TikTok video a couple hours before Smackdown showing LA Knight tied up and gagged, wearing an Uncle Howdy mask while the cult leader's vintage light swung, the old Bray Wyatt character. Knight was shown looking over his shoulder backstage on SmackDown before coming to the ring, calling out Bray for talking a lot but not saying anything, and demanding Wyatt come out to confront him because he knows he's the one behind the attacks. Knight was out of his mind in the promo, screaming his yeah three times, yeah, 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 right at the end. Bray made a more normal entrance than he usually does, saying yeah, yeah, yeah himself. That's for Brody Lee. And in that moment, everything kind of clicked for me. Now. I don't exactly know if this is why the feud is happening, but perhaps it is, and we'll get to that in a moment. Wyatt said he's tired of the game they're playing. He understood Knight didn't believe him, but promised he has yet to touch him. Bray said they both know how the story ends, so he'd give him one last chance to say his piece. As Wyatt got in the ring, Knight beat him down when suddenly the Titan Tron changed to Uncle Howdy, saying, little pig. What have you done? Hey, you want to see something really scary? Suddenly, Smoke filled the entrance with Uncle Howdy walking out live. He had a similar build to Bray, maybe a little bit heavier. Knight dipped out of the ring, scared shitless, as Uncle Howdy and Bray both laughed. And that part of it went on like three times longer than it actually needed to. (laughs) So a lot of stuff fell into place, okay? Friday was Brody Lee's birthday, rest in peace which is why they waited to not only release Bray's new theme, but unveil Uncle Howdy and take both this feud and the reveal of Wyatt's gimmick to the next level. When Bray returned, there were two trademarks that were filed, Uncle Howdy and Uncle Harper, of course, referring to Luke Harper, Brody Lee. And as we've noted, there are a lot of elements about Bray's entrance in the White Rabbit videos that reference Brody. Beyond that, and this might just be a pure coincidence, I never really put two and two together that Knight's sign-off is, yeah, and then, yeah, 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 that's the phrase that Brody's known for saying. Now, this reveal raises even more questions. We know this is meant to be a separate person, Uncle Howdy, but given they were covered head to toe with prosthetics and a mask and the whole deal, it could just be a double working as a stand-in for Bray, or it could be a wrestler soon to be revealed, perhaps a Bo Dallas which is the assumption that I think most people are making. My only gripe was they lingered way too long on the end. This probably should have been in the main event. That way it could have just cut off, and that's the way the show ends. But on this particular show, it could not be in the main event because of what was actually in that spot. Also, the production elements here were tremendous. Knight's promo was super strong. The crowd really is buying into him and his catchphrases. This was beyond good in my opinion.
1: Yes, this was a good and it was a reminder that L.A. Knight is largely the one carrying the story. And you're right. He is getting over with his catchphrases. He comes in and says, let me talk to you. And the fans cheer. And he turns it around by saying, I don't care what you guys think or something like that and got them to boo. So he again, he's very, very good at, at, at that and on the mic. And when it's just Bray, I'm not that interested. When L.A. Knights, when they're playing off of each other and L.A. Knights involved, I'm interested. And this was interesting. And it was also weird, like Bray coming out, holding a mic in his hand. I don't think we've, like, looking like a normal wrestler, I don't think we've ever gotten that before from him. Like, no, it in was In his very entire different. career. <laughs> it was like... It was oh, so ever? Oh,
0: ever? I'm sure he's done it at some point.
1: But, yeah. To, to just have him come out, walk normally, and be like, you know, to walk out with the mics and start talking at to the top of the ramp, um, not like in a character, that was just it was bizarre to see because it was just different, and it which plays into the story Bray is trying to tell that he's not mm-hmm. that thing. So uh, this was good. This was entertaining. They waited on Uncle Howdy for way too long, <laughs> but
0: uh, it makes sense it was why step- they did for Brody. It, it like I I know it was too long, and we were right to criticize it nope. this entire time. I don't take back anything that we've said about it previously, but I understand him wanting to wait for that day. Sure.
1: No, no, no. I mean, Uncle Howdy literally waited. Like, he revealed himself. And then that went on, like you said, for like three times a week. Too long. Oh, like, when, even <laughs> when Br- he just
0: stood there laughing. It, it, yes, that
1: was good. Yeah, it seemed like even Bray <laughs> thought it might have been over. And then he like kept laughing again. And Bray was kind of confused. They may have just
0: forgotten to cut the commercial. It's possible.
1: <laughs> I don't know. It was, uh, it, it was good. It was good.
0: All right. Uh, so Bianca Belair and Alexa Bliss on Raw did a double interview segment with Belair saying she doesn't trust Bliss after what happened last week. Alexa said Bray Wyatt abducted her, turned her into a darker version of herself, made her evil, and then abandoned her. She said the therapy turned her into a shell of herself, and while the friendship with Bianca and Asuka has helped her recently, she was still on the mend. Bliss said Belair forgot that she's actually a real threat for the title, and then it got contentious between both of them. Right as the interview ended, Wyatt's logo flashed on the screen. So Bliss turned her head to the right where there was a vase, grabbed it, and broke it over Bianca's head. There was also a little Easter egg that I tweeted. You can go check our uh, account at Getting Overcast, where after uh, Bliss cracks the glass vase over Belair's head and she falls to the ground, Lily just peeks out from the side of a of a chair, right as the segment. Oh, made. I missed that. Yeah, I missed so go that. check I while I'm talking about this. You can kind of go. Uh, you can go go check the profile and you can look at the video. Uh, this was extremely well done as an interview segment and just a character development segment, building of someone's tail, right? It also gave us a detailed explanation for everything that's happened with Bliss, including why she's basically been irrelevant since returning. And then suddenly it ended with that bang. Well executed. And with the match now announced two weeks out, we actually have time to get excited about it. I wasn't, Bliss was the right person to win the number one contendership. I wasn't excited about the match between last week's segment and particularly this week's segment. I am now excited about the match. This was probably one of the best women's segments outside of the ring
1: that we've gotten all year on any brand. Easy, easy, good. Definite good. Looked up the video. Saw Lily. That's cool? cool. Yeah, I like this because they're doing something with Alexa Bliss. And they told us what she's been up to. She has been back for months without addressing any of this stuff before. <laughs> All these questions we had. And they have finally done it. So thank you. This is what we have been waiting for. I know there's a lot of people online who get annoyed that Alexa Bliss is back to doing fiend stuff or whatever. Look, it's something. You know, the other the other the other stuff that she was doing was just nothing. She was just there smiling without a character for a long, long but time. That's what's so cool, Chris. They ex- they just explained it in that
0: segment. Yes. Now, that doesn't yes. make up for that. Yes. It happened. And and a lot of it probably right. was not purposeful to get to this point, but they made right. it purposeful.
1: Yes. I'm, I'm just talking about people who are upset that she's back to fiend oh, stuff like. It's fine. Like there's a lot going on. She's doing, she's doing, she's involved in the story and they're going back to, to re-explain something that they kind of just dropped and never got back to. So now they're getting Mm -hmm. back into it. That, that works for me. That's a good.
0: Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because John Joyce at air UNH 23, he wrote him. I know you guys have wanted to keep Alexa bliss away from Bray, but I got to admit, I'm digging what they're doing with her. And again, I'm not going to change any of my past opinions because I still believed all those times, man, why are they doing this? It feels repetitive, whatever. There's no doubt that my mind has been changed the last two weeks. Like, very simply put, last week they gave us a little taste at the end of that segment. And then this week they just nailed it. Like, I'm now very curious to see what actually happens. Does he draw her back in next time on SmackDown? Does he address? The fact that she mentioned his name, Um, does he acknowledge her the way she's acknowledging him that he's returned? What are these flashing things on the Titan Tron and on the screens? What do those turn into? And if Alexa does change and does go heal, does she just revert back to that same character that we really got sick of? Or does she become something different? And is that something that we like? So, John, I completely agree. For a while, I was really worried about it, and I was was just kind of concerned that they were gonna use it as a crutch, basically. Here, they're telling Alexa's story parallel to what's happening with Bray Wyatt. And because of that, I am
1: now starting to turn around and like it very much. Well, to be clear, I did not like the idea of her going back to Bray. I just- I did. They had to do it. They just had her coming back. She's walking with Lily sometimes, and there's just no explanation for anything. And it's 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 nothing. Once they started showing the stuff behind her and you could tell, all right, they're going to get into something with her now. That That's fine. Plus, she's on Raw, Bray's on SmackDown. So like, this could go so many different ways they could not mm-hmm. acknowledge each other for a while. There's, there's a lot of possibilities here.
0: And the whole thing could just be that Bray's presence is back around, so it's affecting her. They don't even necessarily have to get back together. There's a lot of ways they can go with it. But John, you know, just to answer your question, yeah, no, it's changed my mind. The last two weeks, I'm not suddenly now saying, oh, this is great and I can't wait for it. But I'll tell you what was great. But we got Monday night on Raw in that segment. By the way, one other thing, that's how you do an interview segment backstage, like just in general. Forget like what actually happened. You have two people sit down, you ask them multiple questions, you allow them to be on screen for three, four or five minutes, however long that went. You don't ask two questions over 90 seconds. That's not a sit down interview.
1: And I think a lot of you know what I'm talking about when when I say that. Yes, I mean think back to the one of the greatest match promos. You've got the Rock in Austin two thousand one doing a face to face interview with Jim Ross in between them. Like that's just that's a good way to set animosity in a different way. That's not a promo in front of a crowd.
0: Love the Jim Ross interview with Mick Foley. The Jim Ross interview with Kane. I mean, there's so many like legendary interview segments. This wasn't a legendary one, but Triple H. um, There, there, you know, this wasn't a legendary one by comparison. But in the short term, I'm going to remember it. I just thought it was. So well executed. I was very impressed with what they did in that segment in particular. Chris, let's move back over to SmackDown. The Intercontinental Championship was on the line. Gunther defending against Ricochet. There was a top tier video package for Gunther showing him beating the shit out of people while training with Imperium in a darkened ring. Ricochet got one too. It was solid. It wasn't particularly notable. Uh, The World Cup trophy was in the ring for the announcements and Adam Pearce immediately barred Imperium from ringside. Before the bell, Michael Cole also shouted out match of the year awards that I helped give Gunther from CBS Sports a couple years ago. So did I like the build to this match? You bet your ass and thanks Cole for the shout out. Uh, Ricochet took numerous huge chops to the front and back, of course. He also took a shotgun dropkick so strong it flipped him over. He took Gunther outside with a hurricanrana over the ropes and then he hit a springboard moonsault. Rick got his head taken off with a boot but came back with a twisting vertical suplex after trying and failing to hit it twice earlier in the match. Then he landed a perfect shooting star press for a false finish that sent the crowd into a freaking frenzy. Ricochet got chopped out of midair on a dropkick attempt and then powerbombed, but he kicked out of his stack in another false finish. Ricochet slapped Gunther across the face in a last gasp, but he answered back and hit the last symphony for the win in 21 minutes and 30 seconds. Imperium came out after the bell with Braun Strowman making the save as the heels dipped out of the ring. Holy fuck did this match bang, Chris. Pay-per-view quality on free TV. Outstanding match. Gunther was obviously the right winner. Ricochet went toe-to-toe the entire way. This was probably Gunther's second or third best match on the main roster. And definitely in the top five for Ricochet, maybe the top two for Ricochet on the main roster. One of the best TV matches of the entire year for any brand, 4.5 stars, and an A. I came super close to going A-plus here. And this also further established Last Symphony as Gunther's finisher. We talked a couple weeks ago about that needing to happen after it debuted, and it did. I guess you can probably make an assumption that I thought this was good.
1: It was good. Absolute banger of a match, probably one of the best TV matches in wrestling all year. The setup was great. Loved the vignettes for both of them. That's how you set the tone for a match and build it a little bit through the show. Love the vignettes. I also really would like that Imperium jacket that they were wearing. It is not on the shop. I looked it up, but it's like a kind of like a fitness jacket type thing. Loved it, the the Imperium jacket that they have. Uh, the, the Gunther kickout on the Shooting Star and the Ricochet kickout on the Powerbomb were awesome. Like, they got me on both of those, those 2.99 kickouts, so credit to both those guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Look, they built this up over a few months, really, since the last time Ricochet got that tunnel shot. Like, they worked to make Ricochet be deserving of this spot and make you feel like, hey, he's different. He's changed since the last time that they fought. He's got a chance this time. He won the world cup. Like this was just textbook. This is how you build up two guys for a mid card title. They put on a banger of a match. Everybody feels more important. The intercontinental title feels more important. It even makes the title look less terrible. You know, we hate that design, (laughs) but it kind of like, it means a little bit more with, with Gunther having it. So like, this was, this was just a plus execution all around. That was a good one. Yeah.
0: Now, I got to tell you, coming out of this, Strowman being in this feud with Gunther, it just kind of scares the shit out of me. Like, there's no way in hell that anyone other than Sheamus, maybe Bobby Lashley, but no one other than Sheamus at this juncture should actually take the Intercontinental title off of Gunther. It is such an obviously incredible booking to do that at WrestleMania. Now, I saw rumors... Gunther and Brock Lesnar at Mania. And sure, that would be an enormous match also. But Sheamus beating Gunther for the title would get such an eruption from the crowd. Now, I hate to kind of bring this up, but if this one's Vince McMahon, I would say there's a thousand percent chance that Sherman is beating Gunther and that's what we're getting and we're going to be pissed off. I think Triple H knows better than to do that. I hope Triple H knows better than to do that because Gunther is absolutely balling out of control right now. But every time I see Braun come in and confront him, I get that like pit in my stomach where I'm like, I just really hope this is not
1: what happens. What about. Gunther versus Braun at the Rumble. Gunther wins. Sheamus takes the title off of Gunther at Elimination Chamber. Gunther Brock non-title at Mania. Like if it's going to be Gunther Brock, it's not going to non-title be title would be much better, better if it was Gunther. So you're going to have yeah. to take it off of him at some point. Do you build Braun up to not win it? Do you do the Sheamus moment somewhere else? I I agree, I'm with you. Mm. I would I would do Gunther Sheamus at Mania. Save Gunther Brock for SummerSlam or, or something. Um, but I like, mean, the, I think the, those could be those could be. The, the, you're right that the, the Braun being around this is scary because while I actually (laughs) am interested in Braun versus Gunther, I don't want Braun to win and I'm worried.
0: Me too. I want to see that match. I I badly want to see that match, but Braun can't beat him. There's just no way that he should be the one to beat him. It's not. It's too soon is the way I look at it. Yes, I agree. Okay. All right. We'll move on. Uh, Women's Tag Team Championship went down on SmackDown. Uh, Damage control against Liv Morgan and Tegan Knox. Liv went after Dakota Kai with a kendo stick early. Tegan stopped her to avoid the DQ. Liv distracted outside so Tegan could hit a flying crossbody. Morgan went on a nice run, only to get caught with Kai's running boot in the corner. She came back with a code breaker on EO Sky, a step up code breaker off Knox's back on EO. Plus, Tegan hit her with the shiniest wizard for a great false finish. Liv then did an awesome sunset flip powerbomb of Dakota off the apron. EO went on a run of her own, but pulled the middle rope on an attempted springboard moonsault outside. Bailey tried to interfere. Knox threw her over the barricade, only to get kicked in the face by a woman in a black hoodie. Eo rolled her inside and hit the over the moonsault like a third of the way into the ring. Super impressive for the win. The reveal was done backstage on social media, likely due to time, I guess. The hood got taken off and it revealed Ziya Lee to an angry Adam Pierce. Everyone is pissing Adam Pierce off this week. This was a banger match as well. It really came out of nowhere. Not only is damage control completely gelled as a unit now, particularly Dakota and Io, but Morgan and Knox were awesome together with parts of a tag team moveset already worked out between them. Give them a name and a finisher, and they could absolutely be women's tag team title holders. I truly do hope that they stay together as a team. It makes a lot of sense together. Not doing the attacker reveal on TV was a letdown. And then having it be Xia Lee was even more of a letdown. Like, what is the angle with her doing that? <laughs> I don't see any reasoning that that would make sense. But I still went 3.75 stars and a B-plus for the match. I actually downgraded it a little bit because of the finish. Really, really good. And I'm not saying it was the best women's tag team match in WWE. But outside of ones that are obviously going to be great, such as like golden role models against the Kabuki Warriors, this was like one of the best matches that wasn't that, if that makes sense. I was massively entertained by this on Friday night.
1: Yes, I, I, it was a great match. I just wish got more time. Like I was getting into it and then the hooded figure and it just ends like that. And I was like, oh, that's too bad. I kind of wanted that to keep going. So I, I wasn't into Tegan Knox and Liv really at all until this match. Like you said, they they, they well, work, It was only so. one week, so. <laughs> right. I, so, yeah. like, I was just like, whatever. But they had a quality enough match that I was like, all right, like, I kind of do want to see more of them. And I would give this a good.
0: All right. Uh, Becky Lynch had a scheduled match with Bayley on Raw. Backstage, Lynch said that they have both overcome adversity. But while they've both done things that they probably regret, at least she, Becky, did it on her own. Basically, she dared Bayley to give her a clean one-on-one match. Except damage control came out to the ring with Bailey. Lynch hit the Beck sploder and a flying leg drop. They triple countered suplexes with Becky hitting an inverted DDT. Bailey came back with a Bailey to belly off a counter for a near fall. Lynch countered Rose Plant with a half of a fireman's carry slam, then hit Diamond Dust, which is a flip over stunner off the ropes for a near fall. Great move. She needs to add that to her repertoire. Bailey tried to stack cheating on the ropes, but the referee caught her. Damage control grabbed Bailey's leg to prevent a manhandle slam near the ropes. So Becky grabbed a monitor outside and threatened both of the damage control members. The referee eventually ejected them. As Becky got in the ring, Kai wound up on the ring apron. So Lynch stomped her a bit with the referee's back kind of like trying to separate them. Bailey drilled Lynch in the back with the monitor and then hit the rose plant to win in 14 minutes. Other than being slow in parts, which is normal when you have a long TV match with a commercial, This was damn good work. It was great to see them lock up for the first time in years. They were really technical, which is where both of them thrive. And the finish made perfect sense as it played directly into Becky's pre-match promo. Not only did they have the numbers advantage, Bailey won dirty. This can easily last until the Royal Rumble. It should resolve itself immediately on that show or perhaps immediately after. But it's such a positive that both of these big time women on the roster are removed from the title picture, yet in a feud that is meaningful. Not only was the match good, I thought the conceptualization of the entire thing from Becky's promo all the way until the end was good. And yeah, I super enjoyed it.
1: Look, We got Becky versus Bailey on TV, like just like that. And and, and a really good match at that. It was was like, oh man, like we haven't done this in forever in a lot of reasons. Becky being uh, hurt people being in different feuds. And you can also tell Becky is getting back in the flow of wrestling as a face, being mm-hmm. with the crowd, playing with the crowd, dancing around, doing lots of things. She felt a lot more comfortable doing that. And yeah, this totally worked top to bottom. Really great, fun match. The right result the right way. And you, you kind of move on from there. So um, just a good step forward for everybody. It was it was good seeing it.
0: Raquel Rodriguez was getting treatment on her arm backstage at SmackDown while being informed there's a gauntlet match next week to determine Ronda Rousey's new number one contender. Rodriguez proclaimed that she would be in the match despite still wearing the brace because she needed retribution on Rousey, not just for hurting her, but Shotzi, others, etc. Uh, just then, Rousey and Shayna Baszler attacked, injuring the arm further and shit-talking Raquel while doing so. I thought this was easily Raquel's best promo on the main roster. It also was like the, the most natural that she sounded in terms of getting her point across, her overall presentation. It just worked what we got from Raquel. And the attack made complete storyline sense because Rodriguez is clearly Rousey's biggest threat on SmackDown. We don't always get easy goods for Rousey, but this one I thought hit.
1: Yeah, I liked it. It was, it was good. I, I, I'm not totally sure if like people are behind Raquel, but Ronda's doing good heel stuff. And that's what she should always be doing. <laughs> right. And so this works.
0: The only problem I had is, look, we're getting another multi-woman number one contendership match on SmackDown. Like, at least yes. this one's a gauntlet. But we get one of these every two months. Like, they've done yep. Fatal Five Ways, Fatal Four Ways. I, I mean, elimination matches, I think they've N- done. Num-
1: num- number one con- Two, two, two triple threats leading to a number one contender match on Raw. Did they do that? I
0: don't think. No, I don't think they did that on SmackDown. I'm talking about no matches Raw, literally involving five or six women. Yes. Yeah. I mean, no, I'm saying like different way that, on Yeah, they do it differently on Raw. They've come up with another number of different things, but on SmackDown in particular, but it's similar. Yeah. All year yes, though, but right. on but on SmackDown, it's multi woman match after multi woman match, all for number one contenderships, and it's just like do something else. To your point, what they did on Raw where they had two, three, uh, two triple threats and then the winners fought, that's something different. Now, yes, technically a gauntlet is a little bit different, but when you've done this match with most of the same people for the majority of the year, it really gets trite. And this is getting trite. Just They could have just done like a four-person tournament. That's what they should have done. Yep. Uh, I was plus, frustrated with it. I just wanted to the, say
1: that. Yeah, plus money in the bank too. That's another multi-woman top of match for yeah. a title. So yeah, no, it is. it is extremely repetitive.
0: All right. Also on SmackDown, we had Legado del Fantasma against Hit Row and the Viking Raiders. It was a triple threat match scheduled. It became a number one contendership match announced just before the bell. Legado hit a double torneo outside, plus an Escalera. Cruz del Toro later hit a sick, twisting 450 splash. Top Dollar tried and totally botched a tope. He didn't even get his waist over the ropes. It was really bad. Zelina Vega He's... took out Ashanti the Adonis with a Huracarana, leading the women to brawl for 30 seconds. With Vega also hitting Valhalla with a moonsault, where she missed a good portion of her and seemed to land on her face. Then Topdala botched again. This time it was injury related, struggling to execute heavy hitter with hit row, getting the win by pinning Legato. I'm not sure I've ever seen a match going so well for a decent period of time turn into a total botch fest in the span of 90 seconds. Legato and the Raiders in particular were crushing this match. Then Top Dollar tried the Tope, which failed because we later found out he actually hurt his leg on takeoff, similar to what happened to R Truth in NXT, except Top Dollar is okay. R Truth is going to be out for multiple months. Cole actually sold the botch really well by saying that's why he doesn't do it often. Uh, Zelina's moonsault was mostly on Bahala for not being closer, but it looked rough. And then the botch on Heavy Hitter was because Top Dollar didn't have a base because his leg was hurt. So he wasn't able to execute the move as normal, plus he was kind of gassed as well. Uh, If I was Triple H, I'm sending Hit Row back to NXT for a three-month stretch, having Top Dollar get his weight down and his endurance up. And that's not about the tope. It's just in general. That's what I would have them do. I would also help B-Fab improve in the ring and then bring them back after WrestleMania. No one's going to miss them not being on the show for a little bit. They're just not hitting in any way right now, but there's enough pieces to salvage something. They really do need another leader. I have no idea who it could be. But... You know, this match is really tough, Chris. Uh, This was rolling on its way to an easy good, given the action was great and the right team won because they're babyface challengers for the Usos. And I keep going back and forth between whether it was good or bad, but I don't think that botches alone should take a segment from good or bad because mistakes happen. They happen when you and I write or edit stories and they happen when wrestlers perform in the ring. So the botches aside, it was a pretty damn entertaining triple threat match, and Legato in particular was incredible. So I'm actually going to go with a good here, but just barely squeaking by.
1: No, I'm going with a good. It, it was a botch fest at the end, but it was otherwise a good match. I liked that, you know, the baby faces won and it set up because it was kind of, you know, Hit Row was just being used as like, oh, new people show up, they're just going to beat up Hit Row. And they were very pushed down to the low card really quickly, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. So for them to come back and, and be in a good spot, it's like, oh, right, you feel like anybody can win now. You know, everybody's established. And I think that raises the floor of the tag team division on SmackDown. So I, I, I still give this a good even though there were obvious problems at the end. And your point about sending him back to NXT just to like fine tune things. Uh, I think that's true as well, because I mean, BFAB just started doing singles matches on live events for the first time. So I just, I, I agree. I think there's some fine tuning up to do. I think Tom Della can be the leader of that group. Hmm. It's just, it he should be, like he looks like it, but it's just, it's not
0: quite there yet. If they made him, and I hate to stereotype it, but if they made him into like a Suge Knight and then they added another person to the group under him, like as an underling, then it perhaps could work in that way. But his character as it currently exists is not believable as a leader of a group. That's the best way I would
1: say. I agree. He 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 carry he doesn't he carries himself like the no it's too corny the way he carries himself. Right. That's what i saying. Just be, say. a, be a be be a bit more just kind of a little bit more just stern and kind of just leaning into your size and presence more.
0: Yeah. That that's what he would have to do to become the leader of them. And right now, you're just kinda of aimless, I guess is the best way to put it. We'll move over to Raw, where the Street Profits fought Judgment Day. Montez Ford got pounced over the ropes by Damian Priest after being caught flying. Angela Dawkins got the hot tag but ate south of heaven, with Ford flying in for a frog splash as Priest covered him in a great sequence. Ford ate a shotgun dropkick from Balor when Akira Tozawa and Dominic Mysterio got into it at ringside, with Tozawa throwing a drink in his sensitive eyes from last week with Asuka's mist. Balor got caught distracted with a roll-up, and the babyfaces won the match. After the bell, Rhea Ripley found Tozawa, punched him in the face, and then challenged him to a match. Oh. So he got Tozawa against Ripley. Now, he was really reluctant at the bell to go in and fight her, but the profits pumped him up, got him in. Tozawa could not bring himself to deliver offense, like to actually strike her. Uh, and he got flipped over from eating a running boot from Ripley, literally to 360. Uh, yeah. Ripley, well, not a 360, I guess a... 270, whatever, he landed flat on his face, is what I'm trying to say. Uh Ripley blocked him and then reversed a vertical suplex. They had a double botch before Tozawa countered a power bomb with a hurricanrana. Balor tripped Tozawa, so the Profits hit a double tope onto them. Tozawa then avoided Riptide, threw Ripley into the post and booted Dom, but Ripley avoided his flying senton. He landed hard on the ring and then hit Riptide yeah. to get the win in nearly five minutes. So the tag bout was strong baby face over heel stuff. It got the crowd going in the show open, really pumped them up. Like I said, it was a really good Des Moines crowd, but this was a very smart match to put to open the show. Pure baby faces, pure heels, and the baby faces win. That's the way to get a crowd going to kick off a three-hour television show. And there were some really strong sequences in the match. And then we get the first true intergender match on WWE TV. And I mean, I usually have a stat for you, right? I I don't. I don't have a stat. Uh, I think, it definitely I think it was, happened. Go ahead. I think it was
1: Reggie versus uh
0: Ooh. Sasha. Ooh,
1: that sounds right. Yep. That sounds right. Yep. About a year, year
0: or two ago. That does sound correct, now that you say that. Uh, I would venture to say, even though that definitely counts, because you are correct. Yeah, no, you're I was gonna say it doesn't really count because. There was no thought that like like Reggie's so unimportant, you know what I mean? In the entire scheme of things. Well, but, there,
1: there is something, there is, there is something I was gonna say about,
0: about like re, like the, the point was this that. felt like a real match where the woman like wants to fight the man and it mattered to a degree, yeah. Right? Like like that match didn't help Sasha Banks. This match helped Rhea Ripley actively, and that's why it felt like more of a quote unquote real intergender match, but you are right. Sasha Banks and Reggie was probably the last one during the uh, Thunderdome era. I would assume that yes. yep. that's the last time we got it before that. It had been even longer, long time. Well, what um,
1: what, rem- what so what reminded me about Reggie versus Sasha is that there was there was zero Reggie offense in that match. He was just doing flips and avoiding right. Sasha the whole time. He like was that, avoiding that was her the and match. then taking offense. That's right. Yes. And this was similar, like like. Although, except Tezawa tried to get offense, mm-hmm. but mostly didn't. He missed. The only, I think about the only thing he might have hit might have been the Hurricane Rana. Uh, yes. but Like, there was no, there was no striking of Rhea Ripley. Uh, he, he tried stuff. He missed. He tried the senton. He got so freaking high on that thing. <laughs> it was crazy. He got, so, uh, yeah. So, it was similar, but more of a step forward. And that's kind of, you know, we talked about a while like, are they going to do Rhea versus a man? How are they going to do it? How are they going to present it? Well, they did it. They did it unannounced against a low card guy, and he didn't strike her. So, like, that's I don't know if that's as far as it'll go or if that's just the first step that they want to do as they kind of ease into it. Yeah. But uh, it, it was notable for a, a number of reasons. And also, Tazawa after Raw, uh, tweeted a picture. Of him getting bent over and pinned by Rhea Ripley the way that she pins people. (laughs) And he said, my 2022 is over. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, you go to work and you're
0: told that that's what's going to happen. You're going to fight Rhea Ripley and that's how the match is going to end. Are you really that upset? No, (laughs) I don't think I'd be that upset. In fact, I'd probably volunteer to do it. Uh, Look, they had a botch moment here. That was a minor demerit to what was a good double segment. Uh, the crowd was hot for everyone involved. Judgment Day is getting real heat. Ripley is obviously getting the China comparisons, but I appreciated that this was a naturally developing match and it didn't feel forced. And I also saw a lot of people, you mentioned it, uh, they were bitching that Tazawa didn't strike her and that it wasn't a real intergender match because he didn't punch her in the face. Folks, seriously, get a grip, okay? WWE is a PG company. I think it made total sense that a man did not want to punch a woman in the face. Kayfabe or not, it made sense. Now, does that mean that it'll never happen in WWE? I don't know. We're going to see what ends up going down with Ripley. My guess is they did this to kind of dip their toe and say, yeah. was this accepted by the audience? Were there any major complaints, concerns? What was the reaction like on social media? And if they see that the reaction was, well, oh, why the hell did any he punch her in the face? then maybe they're going to feel like they have a little bit more flexibility to do what would be considered a real wrestling match, but obviously not have moments where a guy is beating down a woman, right? That, that's going to be a different look yep. than having an equal 50-50 wrestling match. So look, I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on the show, Chris. There are numerous women on the WWE main roster right now that have intergender wrestling experience, most of all being Candice LeRae. You can bet your ass she is salivating at seeing this on TV and thinking, Oh, I might be able to actually do that now. Uh, Xavier Woods tweeted, uh, if you remember back in the Thunderdome era, Retribution, when they came out, he had a storyline where he fought every single member of Retribution one-on-one except Reckoning, who is Mia Yim. And he he walked to the ring one time. He's like, I want Reckoning. He screamed about it. We loved it. We popped for it. He never got the fighter. And so he tweeted during Raw, the, the dream's still alive. I can actually fight Reckoning. Like I can I can complete <laughs> the journey and beat all the members of Retribution. There are numerous WWE superstars saw this and got excited about it. And fans got excited about it. And I was excited about it. So look, I don't think that Rhea Ripley, and I hope, I actually do hope that Rhea Ripley does not like go on a China run and win the United States Championship, which is what it would be on Raw or any of that. She doesn't need it. But if she could fight a couple dudes, the right people, And really Tazawa was like the best example. Maybe everyone else is just jobbers, maybe two dudes, two on one, something like that. Um, If she could do some of those things and just make herself look truly beastly, then you have the Beth Phoenix feud that everyone thinks is coming up, myself included. And then potentially the match, Bianca Belair versus Rhea Ripley. And whether it's for the title or whether it's a whole year down the line, that's going to be a big moment for her as well. Uh, we're putting together the Getting Over Awards, a.k.a.
1: The meaties.
0: Okay, I like. I understand the delay is a gimmick. Let's shorten it up. Let's go 50% shorter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but no, we have those awards coming up, and there's a category Breakout Superstar of the Year, Breakout Wrestler, I'm sorry, of the year. And there's a lot of names on that list, and Rhea's breakout has really been late in the year, so I don't know if she's going to win the award. But she's on that list. She's one of the breakout stars in professional wrestling in 2022. It's great to see. I loved both parts of this segment. It was a double good. Definitely good. All right. I know I just kind of rambled there. Sorry, but I had a lot to say. And obviously, clearly, I'm a huge fan of Rhea. And then in terms of main segments, last thing here, Dexter Loomis fought Miz in a winner take all ladder match. Loomis did a superplex off a ladder propped up horizontally in the corner. Then he dropped an open ladder, pointed at the Miz's balls, and drop kicked it into his balls. Uh, Miz later knocked Loomis off a ladder, escaped silence through the ropes, hit a draping neckbreaker to the outside, squashed Loomis inside a ladder, and threw a dozen chairs, plus a desk chair on top of him. Then he faked out the crowd by pretending to grab a table, and they booed him relentlessly after that, which was so great. And then he attacked Johnny Gargano. That left an opening for Loomis to kind of like come to and, and remove himself from the pile that he was underneath. Uh, he caught Miz with a uranage into the desk lid that was on top of a ladder outside. However, when Loomis put Miz on the announce table and tried to do a leg drop off of a ladder into the announce table, Miz moved. He went to grab the money on top of the ladder in the ring, but Loomis pushed him off the ladder and got his hands on the hook. Just then, Bronson Reed runs in from the crowd. He returns to WWE, pulls Loomis down. And hits the tsunami on him as Miz came to climb the ladder, grab the money with Reed kind of standing there celebrating underneath him on top of the ladder. So, look, this was kind of a rough match. Like we talked before about Loomis's methodical ring work being really, really tough on the main roster audience. It's tough to digest when it's slow and just, like I said, methodical in that manner. And working a match with Miz that went way too long, certainly exposed that. However, there were enough spots in this match that popped the crowd and popped me and the return of Reed made for a really meaningful finish. Even though the crowd didn't react at first when he came out, his tsunami, that move, got an audible whoa from the crowd and credit to Corey Graves on commentary for not just saying, oh, that was a big splash, but stopping Kevin Patrick from talking and putting over the finisher, calling it the tsunami and making a point to note how impactful it was. Reed immediately being paired with Miz is a great idea. It fits perfectly within the confines of the feud and the gimmick. This was definitely headed for a bad before the final few minutes, but ultimately it was just enough for me to say good. I'm just
1: so done with the story. This thing has been going on for so long in so many different ways. People are winning money. They're losing money. I just, I don't care about it anymore. Bronson Reed coming back. Sure. I'm aware of him in NXT, but that's about it. Is is he going to be the Mrs. Muscle now? Okay, but let,
0: let me, let me stop you. Take it from someone who didn't even know this guy existed, right? You saw him come through. You're like, who the hell is this guy? You see him do that move. What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, the the move was great. Like that, that I liked that part. I like seeing that. But the, just the greater context of everything is just like, all right, it's, it's just, I just think, all right, does the Miz have a new underling who's yes. going to be his muscle and then eventually break away from the Miz? That's mm-hmm. that's a mixed track record. You know, guys as Miz underlings work great. And then when they leave the Miz, it doesn't work out. So like that's sometimes
0: they do and comes, sometimes they don't.
1: It's happened it's, a lot. It's just yeah. it, it, yeah, it happens a lot. So I was like, all right, I guess we'll do this again. I don't know. I'm just very much done with this story to be over. I, I'm very, uh, the good, bad scale. I'm, I'm very, very close. I I guess I'll say, just, I guess I'll say good because, you know, they, they put the effort in and it was a ladder match. So it, it was a lot there, but, um, I'm just, I'm done with this money thing, man. Like, where has this story gone? It's yeah, so bizarre. This is going to be up for worst storyline of the year. I think that's one of our worst. really You think uh, so. I think I think this should be up there. Yeah.
0: Oh, I, I disagree with that. I don't think this is worse storyline by any means. I, I certainly agree. There's been numerous parts where it's like, all right, this is like repetitive and it's going way too long without anything happening. But I don't think it's a bad storyline. I just think it's a low card storyline right now. And there's a lot of moving parts in it and. Look, I don't know where they're going. Like, what is the payoff with Dexter Lewis? I don't think they
1: know where they're going. Johnny Gargano, The
0: Miz, and Bronson Reed. Like, I'm just saying in a vacuum, this was good. Because it was a high effort ladder match, even if there yes. weren't necessarily, it wasn't the best Bella Bell, you know, match that I've ever seen. There was a lot of effort, a lot of big spots, big moves. And then we got a return that, to me, ended with a major impactful move. So that's why I said good. But I agree. It certainly wasn't like anything to write home about. It's also the last thing. That we're talking about on the show. Think about how many episodes we've done—the good, the bad, and the ugly. Where some of those last things we talk about, we're like "Oh my God, it was the worst thing in the world. This was so ugly. This was so bad." Blah blah blah. Chris, we just went through an entire good, bad, and ugly segment for the first time in the history of this podcast. We didn't say bad or ugly. Every single thing we said was good. And yes, two of them
1: I don't think it's the first. I think for me, me it's the I first. No, uh, a couple of those first Triple H episodes, we had all. No, good. there was still we a couple. Like a, uh, I think we went. I thought we went like a week or two without a bad. I think we've
0: almost gone since Triple H took over. I don't know how many uglies we've given out. In fact, it's
1: less than less than ten. It, no, no,
0: it's less than freaking five or six. I think you know, like yeah. us combined for each one. Um But bads, we've given plenty of them, and usually at least one per episode. And I've I've remarked numerous times, oh, we almost got out of it without a bad, like it was so close. I'm pretty sure this is the first time that we've gone all goods start to finish. We have some listeners who like to keep track. You guys can let us know if I'm wrong. Uh, before we quickly move on, I just want to say one more thing. I see these constant comments from the IWC people online that the WWE returns are failures because the crowd doesn't react to them. Okay, first of all, Bray Wyatt and got got right now. What would you say? That's a
1: big talking part right now. All the AAA is is. like guys coming back. That's a whole thing now.
0: So let's, let's dissect it really quick. Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman got, both got monster reactions. They were made men on the main roster, okay? As did, though, Io Sky and Dakota Kai at SummerSlam in front of a smart audience and Johnny Gargano in front of a smart audience. So the smarter audiences, the people that know wrestling into the product, are popping for these returns. The wrestlers who are not getting huge pops upon debuting are people from NXT who main roster fans have no reason to know. The expectation upon them debuting is not to get this huge monumental pop, but rather an interesting, impactful, introductory moment. That's a three eyes that I didn't mean to give you. But that's the purpose of the entire thing. And I'm not really sure how people don't understand that, or if they're just being disingenuous, or they see that just because someone shows up on AEW, which by the way, always has smart crowds, that they always get a big pop. So like, Minoru Suzuki shows up or uh, Trent Seven most recently showed up or Maki Ito shows up and the AEW crowd goes wild for them. That's because they're fans of that type of wrestling. If Minoru Suzuki showed up on WWE, people would don't know who he is. He's not going to get a huge no. pop, even though the guy's a freaking legend. I'm saying if he showed up in Des Moines, Iowa. Now, if yeah. Minoru Suzuki showed up at a WWE show in Chicago or in Montreal, it's going to be a huge pop. So I don't understand how people can't differentiate between there are big stars. And then there's people who just show up and get added to the roster. And this has happened throughout the history of wrestling. Sometimes people just run in and you're like, who the hell is that? And then eventually you learn who they are and you either like them or you don't. So a, a person returning or coming back and not getting a monster pop, that doesn't mean shit. If the roster, if the if the uh, fans, I'm sorry, not the roster, if the fans aren't really supposed to know who they are. And Bronson Reed had zero matches on the main roster. I think he may have had a main event match possibly, or like a Raw dark match or two or something like that. He, he, and when I say main event, I obviously mean the, the show main event, not the main event of Raw or anything like that. And yes, he was on NXT. He was briefly North American champion. For me, I don't have any issue with stuff like that.
1: Well, I mean, to me, more than anything, they just needed to rebuild depth on the roster. I mean, this the, all the cuts over the last two years—they were down to not a lot of people. Like they, 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 need people to fill spots. And I think if you look at who, if you look at most of the people Triple H has brought back, they're in lower to mid card. Candice LeRae, Johnny Gargano, uh, hit row until they won the number one contendership. Like it, it, it's a lot of people just kind of filling some space that needed to be filled. And and that's it more than anything. And it's going to take time to build a lot of them up. Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman are different because those are former world champions. Like that that that's just it's naturally going to be different. A lot of these NXT people who are coming back, um, it's it's getting them back on on the tracks again to start to, to to bring them up. I think it's fair to say a lot of the people who have brought back have not been impactful. Yeah, but again. It was about building depth, and a lot of those people who make their big debuts on AEW, like a month later, they're not doing anything. Like it's it's mm-hmm. the same thing over there, where they you just they're. they're but not don't forget, you're comparing debuts. Either. You're comparing debuts
0: of like like Adam Cole and Miro, well, and these Adam people Cole, to other than hit Raw. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, yeah, you know, those are not apples to apples comparisons. Right, that too. Like Soraya returning it's, yeah. and, and CM Punk showing up at at AEW. Those yeah. are akin and, to Bray Wyatt and, and Braun Strowman, just in terms of like yeah. the knowledge of the audience.
1: But a lot of these yes. people that are showing up. They yeah, just don't, don't
0: know. Right.
1: And I don't care. What, most of the people Bronson Reed's not going to get a pop. He wouldn't have got a he wouldn't have gotten a pop in AEW either. Neither would have hit. Uh, no,
0: he, no, that's not true. He would have gotten a pop in AEW. He would have and, because he, they, he would be,
1: like, oh, because they would have like because that audience guy, Chris
0: the, the majority of that audience watches New Japan. He's been wrestling there as Jonah. And a lot of that audience also was hardcore fans of NXT. So he definitely would have gotten a pop there. But it's a different audience. It doesn't mean that bringing uh, Bronson Reed to NXT or, sorry, to WWE is a bad decision just because he doesn't get a no. pop in Des Moines, Iowa. If that show had been in Montreal and they brought Bronson Reed in, he would have gotten a pop because people know who he is because that's a more hardcore... Fan base that that people in those types of cities, Chicago is another great example. So you can't weigh a, a return or whatever, a debut based on fan reaction because the WWE audience is completely different from the AEW audience. It's literally night and day. Again, Minoru Suzuki is a great example. If you did the same thing on AEW and WWE and you did it in Des Moines, Iowa for WWE and you did it in whatever. Cincinnati, Ohio, right? Uh, a Similar kind of city. Uh, I know Cincinnati is a bigger city. I'm just saying. Uh, 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 Cincinnati, Ohio for AEW. That crowd is predisposed to know who these New Japan wrestlers or independent wrestlers are. And the WWE crowds aren't. They're more casual wrestling fans. Just because the guy doesn't get a, a big, huge pop on the first appearance doesn't mean he was a bad hire or that Triple H brought back someone who he shouldn't need to bring back. And the point you made is a really great place to end it on. I think people forget WWE cut 100 superstars from their roster. They ruined their their mid-card. We used to complain on this show and numerous people, oh, it's a rematch every single week. These rosters are so thin. He's thickening them up. He's filling them out. And guess what you need to do in order to do that? You have to bring in mid-card talents. It's exactly what he's doing. There was no problem with this return. There's been no problem with the Legado del Fantasma call up or carrying crosses return or a lot of these other people that may not have gotten massive pops right away, but will eventually be meaningful competitors on the main roster. If you don't think Bronson Reed is going to succeed in WWE with his size and his athletic ability and the tsunami that you saw because he didn't get a massive pop the first time he showed up,
1: I mean, you're just absolutely insane. Yes, the same thing. Even if he was in NXT now and he debuted, it would have been the same thing. It would have been the we just, same. We, don't know, we just we don't know who he is. And the Bray Wyatt return was like the most viewed video WWE has like ever done, like yeah. <laughs> on social media. Like if 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 the top people return, they get a top people return pop. Like this is yeah. what it is. It's fine. I, I, I'm fine with Bronson Reed coming back and being in a middle card Miz thing. It's like it's whatever. Although I was I saw it. I was like. Oh, cool. That's cool. We'll we'll see where it goes. Like that's that's all it needs to be. It's just yeah. it's a mid card Dexter Loomis feud over money. Like this is this is not like right. a big of a, a thing. It's gonna take time to build him up, and that's how it's supposed to work. As opposed to someone comes back, they get a big pop. Oh, look who it is! Someone new is in is in WWE or AW, but then. There's like nothing for them to do for a few weeks. Like,
0: well, that's the thing. Not every time someone debuts on a show or returns, is it supposed to be like, oh, they're going to be main event title feuders right away. Sometimes it's just muscle or uh, a tag team gets developed or there's a surprise. Like there's millions of different types of returns. And again, you just can't because like Bronson Reed and Hit Row didn't get great reactions. That doesn't mean that a lot of others didn't. Again, Johnny Gargano got a massive pop. They were smart. They did that in Canada. EOSky, Sky, of course, and Dakota Kai. They did it at SummerSlam in front of a smarter audience. These are people who also were only in NXT. I know Gargano had a couple matches on the main roster during that weird period. But you, I think you get the point I'm trying to make. It matters where you do it, and it matters in what context you do it. And here, I thought it was successful. I don't think it was like a Grand Slam home run or anything. But they brought him back in a good spot. They paired him with The Miz. That generally works. There are examples where it doesn't. But Bronson Reed's a super talented dude. And what I saw right away impressed me. Agree. Agree. And then lastly, before we kind of close things out here, just wanted to mention that, uh, you know, Pierce had a number of like backstage segments. He was all over the place. One thing we didn't talk about is he was asked by an interviewer, you know, what's the update with Bobby Lashley? When's he coming back? And he's like, he'll be back to work sooner than later, but I don't want to get into the private details of our conversation. Right as he finished saying that, MVP approached Pierce and he said, can I have a word with you? Pierce got called away by a referee, but we have not seen Omas in weeks. And I don't know, man, I kind of talked about this. I think it was last week or two weeks ago. Maybe there's a possibility of her business reforming. We saw Cedric Alexander get attacked backstage. Last time we saw Shelton Benjamin, he lost a match. Same night, I think, as Cedric Alexander did. Bobby Lashley's now gone. MVP's talking to Pierce. Am I kind of stretching it or do you think this is possible?
1: No, I had that exact thought. They're talking Bobby Lashley MVP shows up. I was like, oh, uh, we're gonna do something here. So that's my that my read on it too was that that's what they're hinting at. So we'll see that they know everybody wants her business back. Triple H has brought things back that went away. People, gimmicks, whatever. Like it would totally make sense for him to want to bring that back.
0: Absolutely. All right, a very good week of WWE programming heading into the holiday season, which technically has already uh, begun. But I appreciate all of you joining us once again for a deep dive into the world of WWE here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We do actually have some important news to discuss briefly on the way out of what our schedule is going to look like coming up. This week, of course, uh, before we are done, we on Thursday, we'll have our latest AEW and NXT show. So be sure not to miss that. Next week, the final week, of 2022 will be our first of two special editions of Getting Over. Not only will we have our WWE episode next week and our AEW NXT show, Vintage Chris Vanini and I, the Silver King Adam Silverstein, we will convene for a special 2022 year in review episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast covering all the major news stories and absolutely wild happenings that went down in 2022, which may well have been one of the craziest years, if not the craziest year, in professional wrestling history. And then, the first week of 2023, yes, we will have your WWE episode, we will have your AEW NXT episode, but we will also bring you the 2022 Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The meaties. So the awards will drop the first week of 2023, looking back on everything that went down the prior 12 months. Point being, we have a lot of great stuff coming for your ear holes here from the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And I appreciated you all joining us for one more year as we begin to close things out and wrap up 2022. On the way out, allow me to remind you that this show is all about Five. So head on over to Apple Podcasts on Spotify, drop those five-star ratings on Apple, leave a five-star written review, tell everyone why you listen, why they should subscribe. And if you do, as you heard earlier, we'll read it live right here on the show. Also do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting GettingOverCast for analysis during the shows, episode drops, news, highlights, great stuff all week, every single week. Thank you all once again for listening to the latest edition here of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast for Vintage Crispinini. This is the Silver King Adam Silverstein signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.